0: Here in Orlando, Florida, O-Town Compost is leading the composting revolution, recycling organic waste into a nutrient-rich resource. Join Charlie Pioli,
1: founder of O-Town Compost, as we hear from the nation's leading voices behind the grassroots community composting movement. Welcome to the Community Composting Podcast. If you enjoy the Community Composting Podcast and want to support future episodes, please follow the link in the episode show notes to give a small monthly reoccurring donation, even if it's $5 to $10 a month. We'll continue to come out with killer content to keep the grassroots movement rolling. Welcome to episode number 10. I'm here with Gary Bilbro. He is um, the sales manager for EcoSafe, com- who sells compostable serviceware as well as liners. Uh, Gary has been a mentor to me since I started Otown Compost, and is the guy I go to when I need that industry knowledge. He founded his own composting company, Smart Recycling, in Charleston, South Carolina. And um, I'm just super thrilled to bring on such a knowledgeable guy that ho- hopefully can help the other community composters who are listening. So welcome Gary.
0: Well thank you Charlie. I really do appreciate it and it's uh, it's a pleasure to to be able to be on your podcast and to, to uh, hopefully disseminate some some great information to your audience.
1: yeah um, I would. You know, let's go back to the very beginnings of you starting Smart Recycling and how that turned into such a successful composting company that, you know, you're one of the, you you sit on the board, but you're no longer the majority share owner. But, you know, tell us a little bit about the inception of the idea, how you started the company and, you know, the progression.
0: Sure. Well, I, think, I guess it goes back to uh, you know when I sold my uh, when I got out of the IT consulting business altogether in the early 2000s i uh, I really wanted to get into something that was totally different and something that I could do outside you know being in a car just being out with people and and doing things and I was always very very interested in 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 recycling so I learned uh, I, I got a I got a neighbor of mine who, who needed some help selling his, um, his waste, waste hauling company and being a representative and going out there and getting people to use his waste hauling company. And, and so I learned an awful lot uh, on what we do with our waste in this country. And it really made me, you know, become passionate about it. I, I almost overnight became almost a zealot in the fact that I got to do something to change the, our habits and what we're doing with our waste uh, so early on, I, I learned all I could about construction demolition uh, waste and how we could recycle it, versus taking it all to the landfill and burying it. Uh, I learned an awful lot about municipal solid waste, and uh, and most importantly, our curbside recycling programs throughout the country and how they worked. Um, so I I I really got well versed and learned a lot and and did a lot with different you know my company back then um, and and others about how we handle our waste in this country. So what got me to thinking about food waste and and bringing that whole aspect into it was I was talking with the the head of, um, in North Carolina, I live in North Carolina. And at the time, the head of our, our DEQ office there, his name was Scott Mal. Scott's great guy, very, very great um, um, mentor of mine that taught me an awful lot about um, what, the state needed to help to divert material from landfill. And he said, Gary, if you really wanna do something to help the state out, you need to start a composting operation. So <laughs> I actually literally um, leased some land from an old uh, quarry in town and it was 278 acres. And I started a company to start doing composting. Well, I it took a long time. I'll be honest with you, Charlie. I think I've told you this story, but it took four and a half years to get a permit or to try to even get a, get a permit in the state of North Carolina at the time. And that was
1: for the processing site?
0: That was for the processing side. So, and we didn't have a comp- a commercial composter anywhere in my region. So if I wanted to start collecting compostables, I, I had nowhere to take them. So I really, really started to, to build up, try to build my own. So I knew construction demolition waste really, really well. So I just said, well, you know what, I'm going to focus on doing the re- recycling of the construction demolition waste while I'm trying to get the permit. So I, I kind of, you know, hmm. did double duty. And I did a lot of the yard waste facilities that, um, you know, we've discussed earlier. The yard waste facilities collect a lot of the wood waste and, and grass clippings and your yard trimmings and stuff. And they take it to a facility. Well, typically they have to hire some companies to come in and grind all that stuff up to turn it into a mulch or you know what they call their compost but it's more of a mulch product and so I started doing that I had grinders and loaders and excavators and tractors and trailers and all this stuff so I I got moved out of uh, moved through that process and I learned everything I could about how all that carbon material gets used and in a lot of cases not used believe it or not I was finding out that municipal landfills were actually taking that stuff and using it as cover and so basically burying it or, or, or still ended up in a landfill. And so it, I started having conversations with Scott at the state of North Carolina DEQ office. And he said, Gary, if you want to do something, we really need to compost. And I said, well, we've had this conversation, um, but it's been four years and I haven't been able to get a permit. So needless to say, I kind of got a little frustrated with the whole processing side of the process. And I, 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 I sold the company that I had going at the time and and it was the construction demolition recycling part of it. Mm. And they're still running today here in town. But uh, that's when, that's when I said, you know, I need to go somewhere where there is a compost facility already set up. And I need to start a business collecting that food waste and feeding that compost facility. And so I searched all over my area and I searched all over North Carolina And i finally found south carolina i found charleston south carolina beautiful city great tourist location they just had a had a a new compost facility permitted and and i knew i knew harvey the the operator there that worked for the county that ran the facility and i i went down there and i said what can i do to help and he said bring me all the food waste you can collect Mm -hmm. so i went out and bought trucks and bought hired drivers and bought uh 64 gallon containers and I went out there and just scoured all the the Charleston region and, and started to put out containers and then go pick them up on a regular basis, and and Where, literally,
1: uh, how did you bring such a new idea as food waste recycling to your collection customers?
0: So it was, <laughs> as you're probably aware, it, it was totally new um, to the folks in Charleston. Uh, they looked at me like I was talking some foreign language when I started talking about composting and separating out their food waste. And they were like, well, we already have to recycle. You mean I've got to separate something different now? So it was always the negative. So what we started to do at SMART, when I started SMART Recycling, we really started focusing in on the good. So we, for example, we would we would collect all this food waste and take it to the Charleston County um, Bees Ferry Composting Facility. And then we would buy the compost back from them. They would charge us to, to, to dump there. We would buy the compost back from them. And then we would go donate it. We donated it to, to local garden clubs. We donated it to um, food banks, you know, that that had little gardens. We we donated it to very a
1: very insightful. A really, yeah. Oh yeah.
0: We donated to all kinds of people. We donated to one of the farms out in Mount pleasant and they they you know we had uh, that actual farmer sold to harris teeter grocery store and we were collecting food waste from harris teeter so we had the press and the media and everybody come out and talk about the circular economy of this yeah, yes.
1: that's the most powerful story you yeah. can tell as a community as a composter is the circular nature of you know, food waste turning into food and then, you know, repeating. So that's very ingenious to focus on, you know, that storytelling and I can see how you grew it over time. Yeah, It made,
0: it made people start calling us instead of us going after them, they started coming after us and it, and it, and it really started to grow. And as a matter of fact, that's, that's the reason why I sold the company was I had limited resources, uh, limited funds and, uh, Again, it was, a, it was somewhat of a foreign idea to you know, investors and to bankers and to people that you could go after funds, but I did found an investment group and uh, was able to sell the business and sold majority share in the business. Now, I can we uh,
1: just briefly talk about how quickly you grew your collection <laughs> company? Um, yeah, it was, I think that, that's a lesson you've in, uh, in, embedded into me. Which I think could be very useful for the other community composters. So.
0: Sure, Charlie. I and mean, we, what we did is we just started listening to the customers, and we started, we started really communicating well. Like I said, the story that you tell is either going to be attractive or dismissed. And you want people, you want to attract people to what you're trying to accomplish. And we were trying to accomplish. The diversion of food waste going into landfills. And the way we did that was by telling the good story about what happens to that material going into a landfill and all the, the, the methane that gets created, the, the, the climate change issues, the greenhouse gases, you know, the the and the lack of, of opportunity. You know, when you put a pound of material in a landfill, it doesn't really benefit anybody. When you put a pound of food waste into a compost facility you're creating jobs you're creating opportunities you're creating uh, healthier soils so a healthier climate so there's so many benefits that that are derived from the the total act of composting and when you start focusing in on the good of what it is you do charlie and what we do in this industry as far as diverting food waste and organics from landfill it's it tells a different story you know we're not we're not necessarily there are a lot of commercial companies that are out there that are into this industry. And yes, they make a a buck doing it, but it's probably if you go back to the origins of those companies, it's not why they got started. They got started because they knew that it was a definite benefit to all of us, to the, to the country, to, to the, uh, to everybody that, that, you know, eats food, buys food because compost soil uh, is much richer. It doesn't need near as much irrigation. It doesn't need, you know, the pesticides and the chemical fertilizers and all that. So compost soils um, really benefit farmers. They benefit anybody that eats what the farmer grows.
1: So, so it's it sounds like your mark. It sounds like your marketing game was like, you know, you dedicated a lot of your budget to marketing and. You began to like really change the the mental framework of the public in Charleston.
0: Yeah, and that and so in your question was how did it grow so quick? You know, within eighteen months, I was I was operating in three cities. Um, I grew, and then you know we grew into North Carolina, and then I grew there, and then we, you know, after the sale, we were able to get more revenue to buy purchase more trucks and to buy more containers you know, we, we grew into Georgia and, and further out within, within South Carolina. And so it just continued to mushroom. And, uh, and it, and it got so big, like I say, I'd sold already sold majority share of the company and it it got so big to where I was focused more on, on dedicated sales than I was running the business because they had hired more, you know, the new, new management team had hired, you know, more C level type executive level type people where I could focus on growing the business, they could focus on running the business and it worked really well. And then I got to, you know, I got to a point to where I really wanted to not that I was bored with it because it was going great, but I really wanted to move into doing, you know, more helping other people across the country do the same thing that I was doing. So I, I, for a while there, I moved into doing some consulting work and during that consulting I had already known about EcoSafe for, for a number of years um, and had, had, been adverse to to using uh, compostable liners for a little bit until i realized the benefit of them but
1: and why was, were you so, adverse to them in the first place so
0: yeah and and my new boss loves to loves to ridicule me for this but i said you know it's just an additional expense that the customer shouldn't have to pay for for doing the right thing but when you think about it if you put food waste think of a think of a, a your favorite italian restaurant and think of the types of food waste we're talking, the spaghetti and the meatballs and the lasagna, all the different types of items that would go into that bin. And that stuff sits in there for a day or two, you know, and if it's in South Carolina and Charleston, it gets hot, you know, and two days later you go to empty that stuff. Well, a lot of that stuff is attached itself to the size of those bins
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you can try as you might. And it's a nasty process, but try as you might to spray them out, to clean them out, to scrap, you know, scrub them out, to get brushes and, and all different types of tools to get everything out of the bin and clean it. You're utilizing all that time, all that resource time, all that water. Yeah. And in some cases, you're making a mess, you know, outside your, your customer's facility where you're doing the, the emptying of the containers. So it didn't take long, Charlie. It didn't take long at all to <laughs> say, no, we're, we're just wasting water, making a mess. And guess what? All that water got dumped into the truck that went to the compost facility. And I got charged by the ton for dumping at the compost facility. Mm-hmm. So if half of my load was just the water coming out of the sprayers, trying to clean the bins, you know, I'm actually wasting my, my own money um, by having to dump, you know, that water. And obviously the right. composters, they don't mind the water. They use it. They need it. Mm-hmm. but I don't want to have truckload full of it. So it right. just started to make so much more sense to me that the easier, cleaner, better, and more environmentally friendly thing to do was yeah, to line yeah. the bins.
1: And it's been shown that, you know, if <clears throat> the liner is BPI certified, um, there's no like PFAS or, you know, by um, microplastics, they disappear in my piles within um days if they're, you know, securely down in the pile, right. Of course, we do get some that are not down in the pile. And they kind of dry out on the top. And then we treat them like litter uh, at our composting site. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's the, the greatest argument for compostable liners is not only do they make the cleaning process on the back end a lot easier and smoother, and you're wasting less resource, but uh, talk about how the customer feels about having a compostable liner in their bin. And uh, for example, you EcoSafe, I would argue offers the best solution for multifamily building composting uh, that I've ever seen the multi res program, which I will include in the show notes.
0: Right. Well, our multi-res program is really gaining favor all over the country. As a matter of fact, all over North America, we have a lot of it up in up in British Columbia, where our corporate offices are in Vancouver. Uh, We have a lot on the West Coast. We did a program with City of San Francisco and did over 200 buildings uh, with with the City of San Francisco to get their multi-res.
1: Wow! How many like uh, you know? How many residents is that? capturing
0: oh you're talking probably you know 10 10 12, 000 people so using- th-
1: that's why uh-huh. multifamily ha- multi-family buildings have traditionally been hard for recyclers to capture material from because you know there's one dumpster one container and everyone is kind of tasked with bringing their recyclables to that one container. It's right. not easy to identify if there is contamination, where it's coming from. Right. And then, you know, all that applies to composting. So, um, you know, that's why it's so impressive to me that EcoSafe has found a solution for these multifamily buildings. And we haven't started our first eco uh, multi-res program, but, we're definitely excited to roll it out. Hopefully, in the next year.
0: Well, it is. It is important. It's. It's. Um, and you're exactly right. My experience in in the solid waste and, and diversion business has said that in multifamily, it's almost impossible to get clean material for recycling and or composting. But Charlie, what EcoSafe has done, and it's really ingenious, is we've made it very simple. We've tried. If you think about regular recycling. Uh, we manufacture in this world, we manufacture so many products, especially packaging products, you know, your water bottles, your uh, you know, your packet food packaging and things such as that. And there's so much of it that may be recyclable, but maybe it's recyclable in one city or one community. But if you go down the road, it's not because their their MRF doesn't accept those plastic items or whatever. So with food waste the way we figured it out to make it start, to get it started, especially in a hard place like multi-res is make it simple. So we really do have our process. If you look at our, some of our educational materials for our multi-res and all of this material can be seen on our website at ecosafe.green.
1: Which but, we'll link to in the show notes. But yeah, so can, you, can you describe briefly you know, how sure. the multi-res program works?
0: Sure. We provide every um, every resident. So every unit within a multifamily facility, every unit gets a two and a half gallon, what we call the kitchen caddy. It's a two and a half gallon kitchen caddy gets um, a liner. And I see you've got plenty of them there that gets a liner that it's a, it's one of our 16, 17 liners. And that fits really well into that bin. And, and for the average family of three it, you're basically going to go through two to three bags a week. But basically, the, the smarts of the, business, the system is we have a patent. This is a patented program. We have a patented dispenser that let's say you're in a high rise building. You have you you're leaving in the morning. You've tied up your bag and these bags are strong and they, they hold a lot of weight and they are not going to zipper or rip or puncture. You pull that you tie that bag off. You pull that full bag of food waste out of your bin and again, the bin's clean. It sits there on your on your kitchen caddy on your on your kitchen countertop until you come back. You go downstairs. You go to the waste room. You open up the 64 gallon bin that says, uh, "Food scraps only." This is where your food waste goes. You drop your compost liner in there, full of food waste. Right next to that is a dispenser. <coughs> Excuse me. That has a roll, and the roll comes with 325 bags on it. You pull a bag off. You put it in your pocket. You go to work, you do whatever you're doing during the day. You come back. When you get back upstairs, you take that bag out of your pocket, you put it in your kitchen caddy, and you start all over. Yeah. That is about as simple as you can possibly be. We 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 tell folks, and yeah, you know, we have a little a little decal we put on the inside of the lid that says "food scraps only."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and and it's easy to start a program and just tell folks when you get started, just put your food scraps in there. Now, when we when we provide the property management that 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 property with the information with the bins and the liners and all that and the dispenser, we also give them access to our free educational and onboarding information that's on our website. So they can go there, they pull down the onboarding uh, letter. That's basically allows them to fill out. Hey, we're going to start composting on this day, and here's the collection dates and Here's what you can and can't put in the bin. Those types of things. So all that educational material gets delivered to the resident before the program starts, and it's all there together.
1: Hey.
0: The resident can put that little thing on their on their refrigerator, you know, so they can reference it. And it's very easy to follow. The great part about this program is it's it's in, in its simplicity. And because, like I said, you may be getting in a, in 200 uh, buildings, you may be getting 12,000, 15,000 people mm-hmm. composting. That's a lot of food waste, Charlie. It's a lot yeah, of material and, and that's, that's from landfill.
1: That's incredibly exciting that you guys have figured out a way to make it simple. I believe there is like a, a feedback loop above the bin. If the property chooses to, you know, to talk about the signage that kind of, um, rates the job of the residents and sure, does that work very well?
0: Well, it does. I mean, and, and a lot of our properties use it. Some of them don't, they do, they actually do their own little thing. We have some properties that say, Hey, listen, we're, re-, you know, we had a 2%, you know, contamination. Now that may sound real small, but for a composter, any contamination is extra work is extra times, extra money. So yeah. we try to reach for a zero contamination rate but we may have a building that says, Hey, we, we were at 2% contamination last month. We need to get that down. And if we can get it down below one, you know, we're going to have a pizza party at the pool, or we're going to, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to do something special for, for all of our residents, the way, the way that we tell them, or the property management tells the, the people how they're doing is we provide them. And again, this is all free information that they can pull off of our, our, our site. They can put up different stickers and say, Hey, you know, this was found um, by our custodial people. This was found in the compost bin. And so they can actually clip that material onto that sign. And we got this, you know, this, not this type of signs. And we have also educational signs that say, here's, you know, as a reminder, a list of the items that are unacceptable to go into this bin. We also have signage that says, hey, we did great this this last week. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also try to make sure that the property management uh, team is also working well with the hauler and the composter so that maybe the composter says, hey, they want to get involved and say, hey, you're doing such a good job keeping your material contaminant free. I'm going to provide your property with some compost.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so the hauler can then be a part of the process of being bringing some of that compost back to the to the property and the property can use it around their, Around their facility, yeah, to,
1: that's, that's assuming right. the hauler is the collector is different than the processor. But yeah, exactly that's right.
0: In that, a lot of yeah. cases, you find that that they're the same, but in a lot of cases, they're also different. Different.
1: Right. That's amazing. And you know, of the buildings you've seen utilizing this program, um, have they seen their trash volume shrink, shrink to a amount that allows them to save on garbage collection costs?
0: Yeah, it's one of the things that I'm most proud about with our program, Charlie. Most most of our uh, properties that we've talked with or, or dealt with directly have said, I'm not going to save a dime. This is only going to cost me more money. I'm willing to do it because I'm either, I'm, I'm either mandated to do it because of the city or the state or my property management ownership has told me I have to do it, but I guarantee it's going to cost me more money. Well, there's, there's only the one cost is the one time cost is getting the bins, getting the dispenser and, and, you know, starting the program. The only other ongoing cost is really the liners. But by the time you're going through and or- reordering your liners, you have realized that, wow, people are putting a lot of stuff and it weighs a lot into this 64 gallon bin. And you know what? The 64 gallon bins picking up is filling up before the pickup time. So I'm going to have to haul or bring out two another bin. So I'm going to have to have two bins. They start realizing the amount of waste that's not going into their regular trash dumpsters. And so they get with a regular trash hauler. It could be the same hauler. It could be a different hauler. And say, you know what? I really don't need this eight yard emptied five times a week. That let's just say round numbers it's costing them $1,000 a month just for round numbers. I only really need this eight yard picked up twice a week. And so that savings yeah that's that's
1: you know that's like 500 dollars savings right there you know yes exactly uh, that really adds up month after month and you know i I, when we were talking um i think last time you mentioned you even put it in your service agreement when you were running your compost company at the top of the service agreement you put you know a little catchphrase our goal is to save you money in order to pay for our service. So, Absolutely. yeah,
0: yeah, I came up the act with the acronym Save Smart Recycling as saving money and reducing trash. So it it was uh, it was a smart thing to do. It still is a smart thing to do, but it really is saving money and reducing trash, reducing what goes into the landfill. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, anybody that's out there, if you put your food waste currently in a 13 gallon kitchen caddy or a 13 gallon kitchen bin, kitchen trash bin. And you put the first thing you put in there, let's say is some uneaten food from your dinner table, dinner table. And that food is, is in the bottom of that. And let's just say it was a new bag and you start filling that stuff up before you ever fill up that 13 gallon bin, that food's going to start to do what? It's going to start to rot. It's going to start to smell. It's going to start, you know, Maybe drawing some bugs and flies and things like that to your to your kitchen can, which you don't want, and more than likely you're going to take up a half full 13 gallon plastic garbage bag and take it out and throw it into your trash bin or your trash receptacle, and then you're going to have to put another 13 gallon liner in your your kitchen your your, your kitchen trash can. If you were just to put that food waste into an EcoSafe kitchen caddy. And then take it to a, a, a 64 gallon compost bin then guess what that 13 gallon bin now you can stuff that thing full of all the other trash that you generate and stuff it so full because guess what it's not going to smell
1: it's not yeah, that. and that's what i recommend to a lot of my subscribers uh, we use five gallon buckets but in our you know, welcome email that our subscribers receive right after they sign up, we make sure to send them the, uh, the advertisement for our kitchen caddies and a roll of liners, which they receive free de- delivery as our subscribers. We're going to go by their house once a week or tw- every other week anyway. So it's free delivery. We just drop it off. And it really uh, is a great solution for those people who want to relay their food scraps out to their larger bucket, which they might want to keep on their patio, their balcony, um, you know, somewhere, somewhere else. And uh, I remember when I was a subscriber for Bootstrap Compost in Boston, I was gnarly. I would keep mine right under the kitchen sink, but you can expect that uh, for a lot of people and um, especially not here in Florida where it's exceptionally warm. So
0: Sure. Sure. Well, I can tell you, I use the kitchen caddy. My wife and I have been using them uh, for quite some time now and I do keep it underneath my kitchen, you know, underneath my kitchen sink in a cabinet. And uh, there are the days where I go to put something in there and I'm like, whoo. This has gone yeah. past the three to four day cycle. I better take this out. And I only do, we don't have curbside or, or, or residential collection here where I live. So I have a backyard composting uh, facility, you know, you know, bin out there that I've built. And so I take it out there and I empty the bag, you know, in that. And it's a oh. small little two and a half gallon bag. But the So the food waste goes into the compost bin, but the bag does not. Because Once yeah. want you want your people to know that, if you're doing backyard composting, it, the, the liners, um, the, the food waste will decay and mother nature will eventually break it down. Not nearly as quickly as it does it in a commercial environment, but it will eventually do it. The bags take heat for them to decay and de- compost. So what I typically do is I just roll the bag up, you know, and and t- tie it up into something that's not much bigger than a quarter. And I end up throwing that in my trash, but I'd still use the bin and I still use the liner in my, um, you know, in my kitchen caddy in my house. And yeah. for those yeah. of, of you who who really would like to try to do something to divert your food waste, you know, I if you don't have municipal or or any type of commercial, you know, like like an O Town Compost, if you don't have an O Town Compost available to you in your in your area, you know, you really need to start asking for it. I have found talking to legislators and talking to people all over the country, that you know as citizens of your community you have a lot more power than you think and if you understand the benefits of composting and what it means to one the reduction in greenhouse gases coming from landfill and two the fact that you can you can actually generate a product that's going to create healthier soils to grow healthier foods Um, and if that's that's something that you care about then you should go to your local legislators and you should start asking for them to start providing compost service in your areas, or at least make the environment where an entrepreneur like a Charlie can come in and and start a program uh, in that community. So it's it's very, very, very important to make sure that the people understand the power that they have to make change in their area.
1: As you start to take on more food scraps, you realize very quickly that you need a better composting system to process the material. This is why I highly recommend the aerated static pile microbin, designed and made easy by O2 compost. In 60 days, I have finished compost without putting in the labor of turning the pile. The piles heat up to over 140 degrees, killing pathogens, weed seeds, and fly larvae, making the end product safe to use in the garden. With 32 plus years of experience in the compost industry, Peter Moon, owner of O2 compost is a leading expert in the field of ASP composting i encourage you to set up a free half an hour consultation with peter moon by going to his website www.o2compost.com that's the letter o the number 2 compost.com if you mention that you heard about o2 compost on this podcast you'll receive a 10% discount on the purchase of the microbin compost training program And about this industry, there's not a lot of barriers to entry just to become a small scale composter and start swapping out buckets for your neighbors. That's what the community composting movement, the grassroots movement is all about. And that's a great segue, Gary, because I want to shift gears a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a little uh, later in your career and you like you're one of the most knowledgeable people I know about the industry as a whole, you, what do you, how many composting rags, how many composting papers do you read every week? Um, You know, my
0: wife, my wife kind of, kind of says that, you know, if I'd had the education that I have into recycling and composting and landfill diversion and, you know, the climate as a whole, if, if I would have read as much, and learned as much as as I have while I was in school I could have multiple PhDs in, <laughs> in, in this industry so uh, yeah I'm've I've, I've been published in most of the you know biocycle uh, just recently had an article that I, that I helped write um, in biocycle about talking about healthy soils and um, and the and the benefits of compost in soils and how carbon sequestration really, pulling the carbon out of the out of the environment and and out of the atmosphere comes from photosynthesis it comes from growing things and so the best way to grow things is to have healthy soils that will grow without the need for adding more you know not natural things like your chemical fertilizers and your pesticides and having to utilize a lot of water to make them grow if you just add compost to your to your soil it handles all of that for you so by having healthy soils, we help, help ourselves. So yes, Charlie, I've learned an awful lot. And, you know, uh, I used to be uh, um, uh, one of the uh, editors of, of waste advantage magazine, as far as a you know, guest editor to, to provide articles and to provide um, review of articles that would come in. And it is really great to see how many people there are out there, Charlie, just like you that are there's not a formal education for you to go learn what you have learned starting o-town compost. There's not really a, a there's not really a school or a college out there that offers the courses that you would need to do what you've done with o-town compost or what I did with smart recycling. What it takes is learning from the community that's been there and done that. So I've tried since you and I have met, I've tried to provide you with all the free education and the free advice and the free information and knowledge that I have been able to freely learn over the past 20 years. And I believe the way this industry continues to grow and to prosper is for people like you to do the exact same thing to learn all you can, mm-hmm. to read all. What others are doing and what others have done. Read as much as you can, and then to share that knowledge with as many people as you can.
1: Hey, that's what the podcast is all about. (laughs) There you go.
0: There you go. And in in my early days when I started, Charlie, I didn't have the advantage of any of the social media, you know, any of these opportunities. And so I am at the latter part of my career, uh, being on the doorstep of sixty, but. I couldn't be more excited about the future of our industry and the future of what we are doing. And yes, it is grassroots. It's being done by grassroots folks, just like you, just like myself, just like others that have gone out there, taken their own money, their own time, their own efforts, their own knowledge and started something to benefit their community. And you, one thing I've, I've told every single person that I've ever consulted for is don't be ashamed if you make a buck doing it, because what you're doing is providing a tremendously valuable service to your community. And you should make a few, you know, you should make a decent buck doing that. Um, But I know that's not the reason that the only reason that you're doing it, you're doing it because you understand the value and the benefits to your community. And if we had, a thousand more Charlies in, in, in O-Town composts across the nation, we would be a healthier country. We would be a much richer country. We would be able to employ a lot of people to actually work in compost facilities and collect the food waste and you know, and sell the compost and use the compost. So the, the, the number of fingers and the number of hands that can, can benefit from doing this are tremendous. Where if it's just one or two hands, basically taking it to a landfill and burying it to where it never benefits anybody ever again.
1: Yeah, I mean, just being on Instagram, it it feels like a new community composter is popping up in the nation every day. And, you know, I'm paying pretty close attention to this. Um, but, yeah, I want to talk about the industry, how community composting, you know, fits into the, the long-term future of the waste industry. When Before I started O-Town Compost, I came from waste consulting and I was worried uh, about, you know, kind of the narrative surrounding big waste, which are your large haulers that mm-hmm. operate most of the landfills around the country and operate most of the fleets of diesel powered, you know, garbage trucks. and. Um, you know, I thought that they would just squish the community composting movement. And, you know, they, it w- it, you know, it's kind of contrary to what they're trying to do is incur more tipping fees and com- uh, food waste being a very heavy material uh, and being 40% of what goes across the scales you know, is a lot of money being lost. So this is a big narrative. This is, you know, a big focus of ILSR Institute of Self Reliance and Neil Seldman. And he wrote an article before I started the company that inspired me. But I feel like the future of community composting uh, might go one of two ways. It might go uh, where you know, eventually, community composters are kind of the the big waste haulers, like Waste Management Republic, start their own compost company, hauling companies, and just smush smush the community composters, move them to the side, and that that's that. Or it could go the other way, where um, community composters um, just you know they either don't do well and the the waste you know the waste the majority of the waste continues to go to the landfill which the waste haulers are happy about so they're not going to intervene or the community composters do really well like i you know hope to do and make a significant bite out of the orange county landfill where the big waste haulers come in they're like, we need to either, you know, buy this guy out or, you know, I don't know. What do you think are the options out there uh, for the future of community composting? So really great
0: cre- question, Charlie. And I can tell you, I've had uh, with some industry leaders, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very active and involved with U.S. Composting Council. Uh, I used to be on the board for eight years of the National Recycling Coalition, um, I'm currently on on the board for the North Carolina Composting Council. One of the questions that constantly comes up from people that we talk to is, is composting just a fad? Mm-hmm. Is it, is it real? Is it, is it sustainable? You know, what's, what, what's the future of this industry? What's the future of, you know, a hauler or a composter just trying to make a buck? And so several, several answers really have to be said and have to be understood. One, composting has been done since the earth was made. Composting is a natural form of mother nature. It's a natural process of mother nature. And so we can't stop it if we wanted to. All we're doing as composters is helping mother nature by promoting and providing mother nature with the materials that we're already generating anyway. And instead of just burying them in the land under dirt we're actually putting them to good use to create rich, enriched soil to help the earth grow and, and be able to generate more food. So composting is always going to be here. The, and, and I've got the, the unfortunate experience of time to go back to when we first started doing curbside recycling. Hmm. The large waste haulers at that time said, oh, we'll do that. We'll have we'll be happy to do that. Pick it up, take it to whatever processor you want us to, or to our own processing facilities eventually. But you know we're going to charge you extra for that. So they did it because they had volume, and they had density. Think about your curbside, you know, a can. If you live in a, a community today, where you roll out your 96 gallon cart for your trash, you roll out your 96 gallon cart for your recycling, or whatever size they may be. But you roll out your carts on a weekly or bi-weekly basis and one of these more than likely one of the large waste haulers comes along and picks it up they do that because those are large municipal contracts that have density and until this country gets to a point to where every city that these large companies collect from have mandated it to where You're rolling out your 96-gallon trash cart. You're rolling out your 96-gallon recycle cart. You're rolling out your 96-gallon or 64-gallon, whichever, organics cart. And they can bring a truck around and pick those up. So that's three trucks now going around picking up those trucks. I'm not going to live long enough, Charlie, to see that, unfortunately.
1: Well, it's already – I mean, I want to encourage our listeners to go back, listen to, like, episode four, was it, with compost crew – out of the D.C., Virginia area and how I'm glad you brought that up, Gary, because I think that is an integral part of the future of community composting is doing municipal wide programs, and although it hasn't crept uh, across the country in total. I mean, it's popping up everywhere. And I, I think that community composters need to work towards that. Uh, to really make a significant impact, but
0: and and Ben Perry, you know, who from Compost Crew, uh, he's a great customer of ours as well. He uses um, lo- lots of our liners, but you know, he understands that the volume that he gets comes from, you know, typically it's like the multi-res uh, facilities where he's getting a lot of a uh, lot of lot of pickups in one one you know small little area. Or maybe in a in a you know, you you know these housing communities now where you may have three, four hundred houses and you could go through those housing complexes uh, with a couple of your marketing friends and that you're working with that, that you have on your team, and you can maybe sign up half of them or three quarters of them. And you can start to build that. And once your neighbor sees you doing it, they're gonna ask, well, hey, how does how's that program working? Oh yeah, I really love it. And you know, my trash doesn't stink anymore. And, it, and it's a lot cleaner, and it's a lot better for the environment. So then they get their neighbors to do it. So all of a sudden you've got a widespread growth of your business and you're not really actually actually out there getting that new business because it starts to, 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 to grow yeah. through grassroots.
1: Crowd density, the cost comes cheaper to everyone involved, so.
0: Correct. But here's the difference, those big companies, those large waste haulers that we have, and we love them, we support them. We, those are our frontline workers, especially through all this COVID. Uh, and we 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 know how valuable they are to handling solid waste in this country. But they also they don't they don't do things outside of what we of what you're talking about because the density is not there. They can't be efficient and effective for doing their job unless there's massive density right. because most of their trucks are automated you know, most of our services, community composters, we, we handball it, you know, right? We pick it up, we dump it in the truck, or we we put it on a lifter and we, we dump it like I did with Smart, but we actually physically look at the material, we look at the, the bag and the bin, and we, we personally are dumping it into the truck and into the, you know, collecting vehicle to take it on. They don't typically do that. They typically don't even get out of the truck. They just They'd have an automatic arm that comes and picks them up and they dump. So they would have a less, less of a ability to uh, check for contamination or to, you know, see if somebody put a Red Bull can, for example, in, in the, in the compost bin, they would have, wouldn't have the ability to do that. So that would increase the amount of contamination going through the composters. So that's the reason why I see there being a, a very long term opportunity for the community composters and the haulers that are out there picking up in communities, you know, like the smarts doing in, in, in South Carolina, like you're doing there in Orlando, it's, it's being able to not need that density, but being able to provide this service. The density will come, as you know, because your business has grown, the density will come from from your great customer service, from the great um, recommendations coming from your current customers. And as we have talked before, it's going to come from your community. It's going to come from your municipalities reaching out to you to say, hey, Charlie, we really like what you're doing. We want to help. How can we help you do this? So it's going to come from so many different areas. And I encourage anyone that wants to get into doing this, try to learn all you possibly can. Reach out to the Charlies and the Garys and the the others that are out there that have kind of been through it, done it um, because it is easy to do, but it's extremely difficult to do if you don't really know what you're doing or how to do it or, or what steps to follow. And the most important thing, and I, I tell every single person that I, I work with and, and most of the folks that use our liners are just like you, Charlie. They started out with maybe a hauling company or they started out on a farm. And they decided they wanted to start composting because they wanted to be able to create compost to use on their farm. I've I've talked to so many people across the country that understand the benefit of doing this and the value, but every time they've tried to reach out to their municipality or maybe reach out to their large hauler, uh, they've always been met with resistance or, well, that's just not something we're interested in doing uh, at this time. So the grassroots growth of this this business and this process is going to come from people just like you and others out there that understand the ve- benefit and the value of doing this, not just the value of creating a dollar doing it, but also the value to the community and the value to the soils and the value to uh, carbon sequestration and, and climate change and, and really having a personal effect on that does something to you. you know, internally.
1: I feel like this podcast is, Also, here to save people a little bit of time and uh, give them some of that knowledge uh, about how the operations can be optimized. So, yes, I'm glad you brought that up. And just one last question I, you know, it kind of sounds like even, you know, imagine a municipality issues an RFP for a community of a 1000 households to have curbside compost. Are mm-hmm. you saying that, you know, uh, what can you imagine a big waste hauling company uh, bidding on that RFP and maybe putting together like a proposal of um, just using their trash trucks? You know, is that something community composters should be cognizant of? going? So I,
0: I'm going to kind of give you a loaded answer here because I don't want to show my hand and I also don't want to um uh, give you know go go against any uh confidentiality agreements I've had or anything like that but I can say this in the past if a municipality is putting out an RFP that has anything to do with waste I can almost guarantee you one of the big 3 or one of the large waste haulers is going to be interested in it mm. just because they want the contract not necessarily because they want to provide the service.
1: Well, that's so, where, that's crazy because I mean, don't they they look at the cost of providing that service and mm-hmm. you know, they probably are okay cutting corners which um lowers the cost to them of providing that service. So, yeah, I mean, that would obviously give the community composter the upper hand, but uh,
0: think about it this way, Charlie, they're, they're probably not going to provide the service themselves. What they're going to do is they're going to maybe win that contract, but then they're going to subcontract it to you to do the service, to provide Uh the service because they don't, guess what? You own the compost site already. You already own a collection business. You're already doing it. They're not. They would have to spend millions of dollars to build a compost facility or take it to whatever commercial composter is maybe local, which may be, you know, hours away. So it's a long haul for them and very expensive. So they would much rather work with someone who's already doing it. Than have say to I,
1: You know, say that the composter does have all the collection vehicles and equipment they need. Why wouldn't the composting company just cut the big guy out of it and you know just try to do it all on their own?
0: Oh, I highly recommend that you bid. You bid on it just like everybody else has the opportunity to bid on it. Um, and there's a good opportunity for you to be able to understand the the value of volume and you know what it was what it means to your business. But because um, as you know, it's 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 cheaper to collect um per bin a thousand bins than it is even a hundred uh it's 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 cheaper per bin so you can maybe charge a little less per bin and so maybe you have an opportunity to be very competitive price price wise with the big guys and again being in this industry as long as i have i don't think the big guys are going to try to undercut it to win it Mm -hmm. the only reason they're going to go after it is because they like to have those municipal contracts they like to be in control but um, because they don't know what their future is either. If this really starts to continue to grow, like we all believe it will be and, and hope that it will be, mm-hmm. then eventually these companies are going to have to start saying, you know, maybe it's time we start getting involved with this. But again, I've, I've seen and I've had conversations with people at high level in a lot of these companies. It's not currently something that they are looking at to doing. Right. And they love the fact that there's companies like yours out there, Charlie, and others just like you, that are there, that are learning and growing and existing, because you're that outlet, you're that ability for them to maybe grab the contract, but to subcontract it to you, or in some cases maybe they they, you know, like to have the the uh, don't really want to go through the process of doing any collections or even going after the bids maybe, but they understand that hey here's another municipality, another community that's doing curbside or doing multi-res or doing commercial composting. We need to start paying closer attention to what's going on. And it's a multi-billion dollar industry out there. Landfilling is a multi-billion dollar industry, as you well know. Uh, When composting becomes a multi-billion dollar industry, I can almost guarantee you the larger haulers out there are going to start paying a lot more attention to what it is we are doing.
1: Well, yeah. Thank you so much for your uh, insight, Gary. And uh, just one last question before we head out. Um, What is your advice for any community composters? Advice, you know, imagine young Charlie was just, had the idea of starting O-Town Compost and he didn't really know how it was going to work out, but he just, you know, something you would tell him to give him a little bit of encouragement.
0: Sure. Well, I, I always like to say if you're, <laughs> if you're looking to get rich real quick, um, find something else to be passionate about. Um, but, but seriously, what I'd like to be able to say to that person is don't go in blind you know, learn as much as you possibly can listen to, and talk to others that have done what you're planning on doing as much as you can. And most importantly, talk to people within your community, talk to your future markets, talk to your future waste generators that you're going to be hopefully collecting from and are going to be your customers. Talk to them and explain to them what it is you're doing and why, and then get their feedback it's always easy to sell and to grow a business if you have an anticipated market that's willing to buy your services and or products. So find out if the market exists, find out if there's a passion for it. Um, Sometimes people say, you know, love is blind. Well, the passion that we have for the environment that I wake up for and I work for every single day is my passion, but I also have to make a dollar. So I have to mit- realize that I ha- can't let my passion override my desire to eat <laughs> and yeah. to sleep on the roof. So you have to be able to make sure that the markets exist for the service or the you know products that you're getting ready to, to, to provide.
1: I think that's uh, another great reason to have you on a, a follow-up episode, Gary, is because that is something a lot of community composters struggle with is prospering when they're composting. And, um, you know, I definitely have my own opinions about it, but thank you so much, Gary. I feel like this has been the most informational episode I've hosted and um, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Charlie,
0: thank you very much. And and as always, I wish you and and O-Town Compost all the best. And I highly recommend anybody listening to this in the Orlando area, if you're not currently using O-Town Compost, need to give charlie a call
1: all right thank you take care thanks charlie please rate and review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to if you feel like this is good content and you're learning a lot about compost